Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Uh, the first uh, elements of that and I plan to do that directly. So let's do this. Let's have a word of prayer and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity just to get together and, uh, and uh, rap about discipleship, Lord. It's such an important um, aspect of the mission of God. It is the mission of God. And Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we get into this topic, Lord, and we look at the philosophy that you would just help our minds, uh, wrap our minds around your very mission and uh, how we can accomplish that in our lives. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so discipleship's a, a common um, word among Christianity. You're going to hear it everywhere you go. But in our fellowship at churches, we, we really are... Um, focused on holding fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. So it's, uh, we're going to have a biblical-based philosophy of discipleship. And not everybody that uses the word discipleship means the same thing. So discipleship sort of like uh, the ocean, right? An ocean is uh, that you can just take a toddler and just walk right into it. And it can be kind of shallow, but it's also deep, right? You can drown very easily in it. And the scope of God's mission wrapped around discipleship, it starts off hopefully today very simply, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hopefully dive a little deeper as we go. And really discipleship encompasses the entire mission of God. It is really who we are. It's not what we do. And that's what's unique about the Living Faith Fellowship of Churches is, uh, you know, we talk about discipleship. It's not just like another thing that we do. It's not another Bible study that we have. It is literally who we are. And so we believe and, and uh, that the Word of God is very clear that we are to make disciples, we're to be disciples, and we are, that is who we are. It's our identity in Christ, followers of Christ. And so uh, it's very important then that we, we understand discipleship. And so before we dive into the micro, and there's a lot of details we can get into, I want to kind of back up and look at the macro this morning. And uh, just a, a verse for you. Let me make sure I can work my PowerPoint here. Uh-oh. Well. I'll tell you what, I'll just... Hmm. Man, Jay, I don't know what I'd do without you, brother. Well, he's doing that. I'm going to keep moving here. So uh, this verse here in John, John 15, 8 says, Here it is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, right? Much fruit, so that ye shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So this morning, uh, section one, spiritual reproduction through multiplication. We really want to make sure that we multiply fruit. We want to make sure that we have much fruit, right? And so uh, we're going to be talking about how to bear fruit through the philosophy of discipleship. 
<clears throat> so God's mission, very simply, is to establish his kingdom. So in Isaiah 9, and I'm going to, forgive me, I'm going to be moving rapidly. Not as rapidly as Alan Shelby, but I will be moving rapidly. In Isaiah 9, 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so we see here that God's kingdom will, will continue to grow. And uh, I should have given you that verse there. And so it's God's mission <clears throat> to grow His kingdom. So God's going to continue. Let's see if this will... There we go. I'll go ahead and give you those. God, it's, God's kingdom will grow. Right? It's going to continue to increase. It's going to never cease. It's going to continue to go on. There shall be no end, it says in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. And then lastly, he's going to be the one who performs it. He's going to make sure his zeal will ensure that it takes place. And so God's kingdom is what we're dealing with. When we talk about making disciples, we're actually talking about how God chooses to expand the kingdom of God. So God's plan for man is multiplication. That's how we're going to get much fruit, is multiplication. So in Genesis, uh, here in verse, uh, verses uh, 1, 26 through 28, uh, God gives this mission to Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, let, man, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so we see here, uh, I don't know how familiar you all are with the Word of God, but this is really uh, the first mission. And being fruitful, and multiplying, and replenishing the earth is what God is commanding uh, Adam to do. So the very first words of Scripture... <clears throat> the very first, what am I doing there? There we go. Nope. There we go. No. How do I get this to go the right way? There we go. The very first words of, of God in Scripture ever spoken to man are to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So you can see very clearly then that is, that is the commandment. Be fruitful, which means produce life, and multiply. And we're going to talk about how to multiply that fruit. That's really what discipleship's all about and replenishing the earth, right? And that really means for us reaching the entire world. And we'll uh, extrapolate that here in just a moment. So God, God has never changed that plan. So one of the things you learn about the Bible is first mention. So when you see something uh, you know, like this, you, know, you keep tracing it through the Word of God. And so God continues His plan, and He wants to see us be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So God's plan for Noah and the nation of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the same. We find in Genesis 9-1 that after the flood, God tells Noah to, to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So God destroyed the world, but He preserved Adam, <coughs> Adam's seed through Noah. And so just as Adam uh, was entrusted of God with his mission to reproduce, so Noah was entrusted by God to be fruitful, to multiply, and replenish the earth. Now that seems real simple. Uh, and it seems even natural, right? Well, it should be. Of course, for them it was physical. But for us as Christians, when, remember what I was saying earlier, it's our, our identity. It's what we do. It's who we are. 
Right? So really, for Christians, we should also be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Right? That's what we do. That's what God has put us here to do. All right, so the story doesn't stop with Noah. It continues on. As you kind of uh, are driving down the Messiah Highway here, you get into Genesis chapter 12, and you come across uh, Abraham, right, the great patriarch of faith. And in Genesis 12, he gets this incredible prom promise from God. And I'm not going to read all of this, but in verse 3, God tells him, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And again, this promise rotates and is, is dependent upon the seed, that he, has, that he bears fruit. Now Abraham is called the father of faith in Hebrews 11, and he's, hey, welcome, good morning, come on in, grab a seat. It's Jay's fault. It's all Jay's fault. He did, Jay is a good shepherd, I promise you. I promise you. He was just dependent on James DeCoker, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he just, uh, yeah, sorry. The ho yeah, the, the, I'm the, uh, he's our, He's our main man. I know how to shoot myself in the foot. So, so guys, we're just talking about being fruitful, multiplying, replenishing the earth. Grab a seat, and uh, we're moving along here. So, so we see that God definitely wants to bless through Abraham as well, through his seed. And Abraham's called the father of faith in Hebrews 11 because he's noted for believing God, right? He believes God. And bearing fruit and believing God are hand in hand. So we see an attribute of bearing fruit here with Abraham. And though he and Sarah were barren, you know, God is the one, right? Isn't he the one who fulfilled his promise through Abraham? Right? It's saying another principle, there's just these little underlying principles. When it comes to bearing fruit, it's not something we do in the power of our flesh, right? It's something we have to trust God to accomplish. And so Abraham's a very important figure there. So Abraham also pictures for us how we bear fruit, and that is by that's by faith. Right? So uh, in Genesis 22, 16 through 18, down in verse 17, God says that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to dive too deep right off the bat, but I do want to just mention some things. And, and if this kind of throws you off, that's cool. Just, just go back to your pastor or grab me afterward. They'll help sort us all out. And forgive me, pastors, if I, I don't want to go too deep here. But God's plan for Abraham's seed is obviously to multiply. But he mentions that he wants him to multiply as the stars of heaven. And uh, in this prophecy, we see both aspects of what we teach in our, in our kind of a more advanced discipleship called Discipleship 2. We really lay out, uh, or most of our churches lay out the, this distinction between the kingdom of heaven, which is a physical kingdom that we're literally talking about when we're dealing with, with, uh, with uh, Abraham, with Noah, and this physical reproduction. And then there's the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom that was offered to Israel, but was being granted to us in this age of grace in the church. And it's interesting because this prophecy deals with how Abraham's seed, the father of faith, is going to multiply both, right, as the stars uh, of heaven and the sand, which is upon the sea, right? So one is celestial, in the, in the, it's in outer space, right? It's out in, the, out in the heaven. And one is terrestrial, it's the sand of the sea, it's here on the earth. And God has a, a, a plan. I mean, it is, not only is it micro and macro, it is completely comprehensive. I mean, it deals with everything on earth and everything in heaven. So when we say He is Lord of all, He literally is Lord of all, of heaven and earth. And so what does that got to do with discipleship? Well, you're, as Alan would say, you're asking good questions. So, uh, and so, so the stars in the Bible are also likened to angelic hosts. 
in the New Testament, Paul speaks to the glory of the resurrected saint. And it's like the glory, right? Again, a couple of other important words as you study your Bible are as and like. Uh, it's like the angels in heaven. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the Apostle Paul's writing, chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. And he mentions that, that uh, our inheritance is that of a spiritual body. He says our bodies, in verse 44, are sown a natural body, but we're raised a spiritual body. It's a natural body, and there's a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last man was made a quickening spirit. But before you get to that, in verse 41, he says, there's one glory of the sun, right, celestial, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Uh, now, that may not seem like it has a lot to do with a lot of things, but when you put that in the, in the context of the whole of the Scripture, the kingdom of heaven is represented by Abraham's seed being numbered above the sand of the sea. And the kingdom of heaven <coughs> um, is inherited by Israel and those Gentile nations who follow God in the millennium and eternity. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is composed of those that are born again. And when we bear fruit uh, today, uh, obviously we do it physically, but even when we have physical children, isn't our goal and our hope to see them born again? Yes. And it's a spiritual inheritance. It's an inheritance that is like the sun, like the stars, like the moon. It's a celestial uh, inheritance. And so God is giving us some, some uh, even, in the, even in the picture of Abraham, He's giving us some insights into what the, really the magnitude and the depth and the scope of discipleship. Remember I said it's like the ocean, right? You can just kind of walk in there and talk about the ocean and the, it just kind of washes over your toes. But the further you go and grow, man, you realize that this thing about reproduction spiritually, sorry, I should step to the right. This thing about reproduction spiritually is, is deep and it goes deep. So I'm not going to dive too much deeper there. I just kind of want to mention that. I might even give you a few question marks and go back and we can study some things later. But for the sake of class here, I'm just going to keep moving. But there's a lot going on here when it comes to being fruitful, multiplying, and reproducing. Okay, so Isaac, is the next patriarch we're going to look at. In Genesis chapter uh, 26, it says, And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So God promised through Isaac to carry forth the promise of multiplying Abraham's seed. So now he gets this promise, right? It's, notice it's passed on to his seed. And so this thing about discipleship, it gets passed on from generation to generation. You know, Paul said, you know what, he needs to pass on what was given to him to faithful men who can teach others also. So God gives it to Isaac through Abraham. And so God promised through Isaac to carry forth this promise of multiplying Abraham's seed. And then, of course, we know Jacob comes behind him. And, and again, he says in verse 3 of Genesis 28, And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful, multiply thee, and that thou mayest uh, be a multitude of people. So it's clear that God has a ministry of multiplication through the promised seed and nation of Abraham, which of course becomes Israel through Jacob. And so it, it's through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that God brought forth David to establish the throne and Jesus to fulfill the prophecies concerning him as the rightful heir to the throne. So in Psalm 110 and verse 1, the Bible tells us, uh, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so you see here that this does also involve, you mentioned two, I've mentioned two kingdoms already, there's some kingdom work going on here. So when you are involving yourself in discipleship, you are involving yourself in the advancement of God's kingdom. Stuff's really 
it's again, it's, it's powerful to think about, to meditate upon. And so uh, we know in the Old Testament, Israel, Israel brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And, he, and God did that for two purposes. Number one, uh, for the atonement. There's two purposes to Christ's first coming. The first is atonement for sins, which, amen, amen, that's, that's the main thing for us sinner dogs. We, got, we need to get saved. You're not going to have any spiritual reproduction if you're not saved. So atonement for sin on the cross. Uh, many of us know Romans 5.11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, by whom we have now received the atonement. That's a transliterated word, by the way, at one minute. Is what that uh, is what that comes from, and uh, and so um, so we were God restores in man the lost image of God, and this is important to, to kind of comprehend here. It says and I have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. When we get saved, we get a new image, uh, and and so we're we're in the very image of Him that created us. That's something that Adam lost. I don't want to get too far into that. For this course, but it is important to this issue of atonement or at one right? God brings us into His family. In Colossians 3:10, um, <clears throat> or in Hebrews chapter 12, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the Bible says, "Hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds." We're dealing with the Creator who being in the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person, and upholding by the word of His power when He made manifest, purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of majesty on high." And so this image, uh, <clears throat> the image of His person, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get saved, what do we do? We call upon the name of the Lord, and Christ literally, via the Holy Ghost, comes inside of us. We have His image. Right? And His image is what restores us. It brings us um, into His very image. So the atonement is, is incredible because it makes us one uh, with Christ, but it also makes us one in Christ. So it has a very personal uh, redemptive power, but it also has a, collective, um, um, it has a collective influence as far as us being a body of Christ, which I don't want to get too far into that either. And so uh, there's, it's, a pretty, it's powerful. The, the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful. So this, the, we see that the atonement is huge. It's, it's a big deal. It brings us into Christ. Um, <clears throat> but Jesus also said, it is finished. Right? So there's no perpetual work going on. You often hear us when, we're, when you're preaching or teaching. It's important that we emphasize, we say, the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died once for sins. Right? And it is, when He said... In John 19.30, it is finished. It was finished. So atonement was done. So when we talk about making disciples and, and discipling, we're not, we're not earning our way into heaven. right? We got saved the moment we trusted Christ as Savior. And the work of our salvation was completed on the cross. Jesus Christ had the faith. right? He, 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 he persevered through everything and He rose again victorious <laughs> over the grave. We celebrate that. We put our faith in Him. The faithful one. And so we're saved because, and He brings us into the kingdom of God through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, that finished work. So if that's the case, then why do we got to keep going? What are we doing here? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. So the next thing we got to do, right? We know we're saved. We're set apart for God's kingdom. We're in His image now. And, and, and someday we'll have, <clears throat> have that likeness. Well, what are we doing? Well, we're training. That's the second thing. Now, that's not just what we're doing. That's what Jesus was doing. So He came to this earth, and we all know that He came to this earth to die on the, on the cross for our sins. That was His purpose. I mean, that's why He came. But that was not His only purpose. Right. He, spent, he spent three and a half years training 
12 disciples to carry the gospel to the entire world. And you think about that, how lopsided is that? I'm, I'm going to take, you know, he didn't choose the Sanhedrin. He didn't choose the lawyers. He chose 12 common guys, and, uh, and he trains them for three and a half years. And he says, you guys are going to reach the world. I need you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the othermost part. I'm going to lay all this on y'all. So he took 12, hey, welcome, good morning. So he took 12 common people and entrusted to them this incredible mission of reproduction, being fruitful, multiplying, and replenishing the earth spiritually. So training the disciple was the purpose of Jesus' public ministry. And Jesus said, I have glorified thee on earth, and I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That's an interesting passage there in John 17, 4. And so th this, was, this was before Jesus went to the cross. So think about this. We talk about the finished work, but Jesus is praying to the Father in John 17, 4, and he says, you know, Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Well, wait a minute. Wait, I, didn't, didn't I just say that he came to this earth to atone for sin and the finished work of Christ? And all, I did. I said all that, right? So that's that one work of redemption. But he had another purpose of discipling, right? He had to train faithful men. And before he even went to the cross, he's praying to the Father, and he's like, hey, Father, I have finished the work. I finished the work that you gave me to do. Think about that. What is that? Train 12 faithful men. Now, we're not going to dive deep into that passage. That's worth studying itself. But those disciples, there was one key element to them. I've got to get off my notes for just a moment. Because these guys were faithful to hear God's Word and keep God's Word. See, they were faithful to hear God's Word and keep His Word. That's not in your notes. So that's what, that's what he was working out in them. He was looking for people that, he could, that were faithful with his word. And so a key point of being a disciple and God finishing the work in us is being faithful with the word. That's why discipleship is about stewardship as well. Okay, so uh, it took three and a half years to disciple the twelve, right? And, and so if it took Jesus three and a half years, how long do you think it takes us? It ain't going to be any quicker, right? I promise you that. And, and oftentimes... Uh, I got to say, it's often longer. So, uh, so the disciples uh, were left. You know, uh, man, I, I can't imagine. Sometimes I imagine what that would have been like. You know, you, you're, you're you're walking with Jesus in the flesh. You got all the answers right there. I mean, that's before iPhones and all that. I mean, Google wasn't around. All you just had to do is ask Jesus, and there you, and there it was. So, so Jesus has all the answers. But he leaves them. And, and of course, you know, after, after training them for 40 days, he commits a mission to them. And he says in uh, Matthew 28, uh, and this may be familiar to you, but let's, let's slow it down just a moment and just kind of soak this in for a minute. And, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven, remember, and earth. Going back to what we learned with Abraham's promise. So that seed came to pass through David, eventually through Jesus. So now all of that power rests upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he do with that power? What's it say? He says, go ye. He delegates it. The, 12, the men that he spent three and a half years investing his life in get the power. They get the power. 
that, uh, that he gave. Of course, we know what happens. He says, wait, you know, till Pentecost. So they have still waited about 10 days, and then the Spirit of God comes upon them, and, and they're endued with the Holy Ghost. But the point here is that he tells them to go ye, go, therefore, and teach all nations. That's the scope, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So is he with us right now? Amen. He is still with us. And so, so there's, there's several things going on here in regard to the discipleship. Number one, Adam's commission is reflected in the Great Commission. Even though we're not talking about Adam per se, we, we can see what's going on with Jesus, who is the last Adam, right? He is actually, we can see that reflection of what God was doing with Adam initially in the last Adam, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's being fruitful. He's multiplying. He's replenishing the earth. He says, you know what? You need to go to the entire world, all nations. That's the scope, right? So he says, be fruitful. Go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he tells us to be, uh, to multiply teaching, right? Now that word teaching, if you, if you were to drill down on it, um, and I'm not a Greek and Hebrew guy, but if you were to, to you know, get out your strongs and run that, that word down, what you're going to find is that comes from the Greek word for, for disciple, right? It's making disciples. So that teaching implies discipleship, right? And, uh, and a disciple is a learner. And so teaching, discipling them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, that's how we multiply, right? Uh, we got to go and we got to teach and we got to make disciples. That's what we're doing right here today. That's why we're at this conference right now. And then lastly, we got to replenish the earth, right? We are to go to, you know, as many nations as we got passports for. Now it says all nations unto the end of the world. And so for those of us that are pastors, this is a big deal because this is where discipleship often gets bogged down because we really don't believe God for what his mission is. And so we see discipleship through our, our lens instead of God's lens. No, it's, we should not do that. We have to go, we got to go big or go home. That's all there is to it. Every local church has to be engaged in missions as well as discipleship. That's another thing you'll find about our Living Faith Fellowship churches. We all get that intuitively. You can't be about discipleship if you're not engaging God's mission globally. And we're also not so proud and arrogant to think that any one local church has the wherewithal. As a matter of fact, even as we band together, we realize we're, we're, we're just, man, we don't have the strength. But God says, I do. Right? So even reaching the world, we got to do from, from point to point, it's all about faith. Believing God at His Word. And so we go to the world. We're replenishing the earth. And, and when you're discipling someone ac across your kitchen table, it is just as important as somebody getting in, their, in the airplane or getting on the boat and going around the world and reaching a, another unreached people group somewhere. It's, it's all important. It's not one or the other. It's all. And so we, we're fruitful. We're multiplied. We, we replenish the earth. And we go to all nations. And just a little word to the wise, and I think we may have a few pastors here. I, years ago, uh, discipleship was a, <clears throat> um, I was involved in a lot of discipleship training in churches. Let me just put it that way. And I saw it fail miserably over and over again. And it wasn't because of God's mission. God's mission is perfect, right? It wasn't because of what we're learning here. It was because at the end of the day, uh, if God's calling you to be a pastor, you've got to embrace the whole thing. You can't just do a little, you can't look at it as a program. You've got to be in, all in, 
And you got to be working discipleship from beginning and be willing to open your hands like Jesus and delegate authority and say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mm-hmm. And you got to have a good plan because the devil will work in the details. So, so just a word to the wise. If you're a pastor in here, just uh, you know, keep that in your pipe and smoke it. All right. So, uh, all right. So there's two purposes. I don't know if I should say that or not, but that's that's how I roll. All right. So, so, uh, so we we're, we're to to uh, to reproduce spiritually. And uh, I'm I'm missing something, aren't I? Yeah. Did I get past that? All right. So uh, it's our responsibility to restore the the to uh, to man the image of Christ lost by Adam's sin in the garden. And so I I am I lost myself some here. Where? Hang on a second. Yeah. Okay. I'm still I'm still where I'm supposed to be. So forgive me. Uh, I did get saved once, but now I'm lost. I think that's the, that's the, that's the opposite of what's supposed to happen. Uh, so Adam died spiritually first, then physically, right? And I, I, I'm, uh, I don't have all this listed on the PowerPoint. So Adam died uh, spiritually first, um, and then physical death followed in Genesis 2.17. Uh, the Bible says, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, and the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. So we are redeemed spiritually first, uh, then our physical body will be redeemed at the resurrection. And so, uh, for time's sake, I'm going to skip over all that. I already talked a little bit about that. So, uh, the, the, the point is simply this, though. When it comes to our reproduction, it's a spiritual process. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, upon upon receiving the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter two, oh there it is. I caught up with myself. There we go. Um, we were empowered. I think I did miss a point here, so forgive me. The third point there, I think you have a blank, is upon receiving the Holy Ghost in Acts two, the disciples were empowered to fulfill the Great Commission. So uh, I don't want to skip over that lightly. When God said in in Matthew. Uh, 28, you know, all power is given unto me, go ye therefore. It wasn't until Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God uh, filled the church, that they were empowered to go forth and accomplish that mission. That's important because obviously you can't make biblical disciples without the Spirit of God. When do we get the Spirit of God? Yeah, the moment of salvation, right? So we're not looking for some second blessing, some super duper discipleship gift. No. Uh, the moment you get saved, you've got this power, right? You've got the power. It's like that old 80s song. But the thing is, you've got you've to work that thing. So I know that's bad. But you've got to work that thing. You've got to develop that thing. Just because you've got the power doesn't mean you know how to use it, right? Just like anything with power. Just because you can have a car, but doesn't mean you know how to drive it. Believe me, I've got a 14-year-old daughter, and uh, she thinks she could drive, but she cannot. All right, so, all right, so uh, let's move on. So there's... <clears throat> um, there we go. The five primary uh, goals of the Great Commission. Let's see, we're going till we got about 45 minutes left, if I'm right. So we got to keep moving with Twix. All right. So the five primary goals of the Great Commission. Number one, evangelism. Um, <clears throat> Colossians 1:13 says, "Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son?" So, uh, bearing spiritual fruit by winning souls to Christ is is a Preeminent. That's what we've got to be doing. We don't want to just, you know, get to a place where we're monks in a monastery 
And I'd like to say in my church, if you want to, I do have people after we learn this philosophy of discipleship, we get excited about discipleship, people will come and they'll say, hey, I'd like to disciple someone. I'm like, great. Go win them to Christ, right? That's great. Uh, you know, obviously we do have folks coming in that we need to assign and all of that. But ideally, this is what we're about. We're winning people to Christ, right? We're going. Go you therefore. The disciples went out two by two. And then after Jesus resurrected, they continued to go, right? They go and they preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of righteousness... Um, uh, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Right? So we want to be wise, uh, and we want to continue to win souls. We need to be winning the lost. It's an imperative uh, to reproduce. Oh, sorry guys, I lost my way here. So, uh, Luke 5, 5, 9-10, For he was astonished that, <clears throat> uh, that all that were with him, that, that the draft of fish that he had taken... And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, and Jesus saith unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And so there's a principle here. I'm, I'm moving really quick here, but there is a principle with, uh, that I do want to hit before I move on, and that is this. Uh, there's a process, right, in learning. So your identity changes. The reason I threw Luke in here is because uh, Peter's identity, uh, you don't start off as an, an evangelist, really. You, you start off as a baby. And so, just like Peter and many of the, the disciples, they didn't start off as these great preachers. They started off, these guys were fishermen. They identified as fishermen. They didn't, just like you identify with whatever you are, right? I'm a, I'm a nurse, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, I'm a whatever. We kind of have tend to do that. But the more we grow in Christ, uh, we realize that, you know what, our, our identity is wrapped up in winning people to Christ. And so Jesus, before he jumps to, hey, Peter, you're now the apostle to the Jews, before he jumps to all that, he just starts really incrementally and says, hey, Peter, um, you, you understand fishing, so now I need you to do what you know, right? If you're a nurse, you care for people, great. Use those skills and learn how to care for souls, right? Uh, you're a carpenter, you know how to build stuff, great. Well, just use those skills and learn how to build people. And, you, and he just takes where you are and, he, and so evangelism is that easy. You don't have to go and get a Ph.D. You just got to learn to use who you are uniquely. God uses you as a tool so you can accomplish His mission of winning people to Christ. All right, so I'm losing time. I got to keep moving. All right, so, uh, so <clears throat> winning the lost is imperative. We must reproduce ourselves. Now, that's why we do it, right? We, we got to reproduce ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says... <clears throat> In verse 1 here, it says, And you hath he quickened, right, brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had, you know, once upon a time, our conversation, uh, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath as others. But, but, praise God, but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, brought us to life. He's quickened us, not just us, but quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. All right, so winning the loss is imperative, and we've got to reproduce ourselves also. So God has changed us. He's transformed us into children of light. It's an amazing thing that He's done. And he, he wants us to continue to reproduce and quicken uh, and, and bring others to life, just as we've been brought to life. 
So the object of evangelism, <clears throat> the object of evangelism is to win people, baptize them, and place them in the local church where they can be discipled. Again, we've been working 1 Corinthians 15 pretty hard, um, but there's a, there's some wisdom in 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> verses 1 through 4, and is, is the simplicity of the gospel. And so, I need to back up. There we go. It's the simplicity of the gospel. You simply got to, you know, not be beguiled from that simplicity. Jesus Christ lived, He died, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I'm not going to read that for time's sake, but you can get that down there. It's in your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Make sure that you understand the gospel. That's the first thing you got to start with. You got to be, we got to make sure we're evangelizing and uh, getting people saved. And then we got to establish them in the local New Testament churches. And so God's plan for this age is fulfilled in and through the local New Testament church. And so uh, in your notes there, you have Ephesians 11 through 16, Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, 11 through 16. And this is a, a very important passage. It gives us some, some parameters for how God structures the church. And it's a, it's a book on building. And in Ephesians 4.11 it says, For He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, and that's, that's important. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4.12. Right? And so we are to, the church exists to perfect, to complete to, to, uh, to do the work of ministry. There's work to be done. We're saved by grace through faith, but we're saved unto good works. So God has something for us to do after we are saved, and that is to edify, that is to build the body of Christ. And so we're all in this work together. Certainly He gives pastors and teachers, and He goes on and talks about that in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It's really important that everyone's in their place in the body, but we're all in this collectively. We're all about, all of us, are all about this work of perfecting and doing the work of ministry and edifying and building the body of Christ. We're all bo body parts and members in particular. So the church is Christ's body uh, in, our, in a, a, well, it's our lesson eight. I don't know. The lessons are kind of, everyone has a little version here and there. But the, the lesson, whatever your lesson is on the local church, uh, we'll talk more about that. Um, establishing churches is the vehicle that God uses to fulfill His work. And so you cannot, uh, you cannot divorce discipleship right, from the local New Testament church. Uh, a lot of the evangelistic organizations, we give, you know, we may, sometimes we give them grief because they're not local church, they're parent church. Uh, but I know, for instance, the Billy Graham organization, they were wise enough to know that, you know, it was so sad that the last few crusades Billy Graham had. He was all about evangelism. If you, everyone should know who Billy Graham is. But he had to train. That I'd go to these. I went. He had one in Kansas City, a big one of his last hoorahs there, and he had to bring all the churches together and teach them about discipleship. And I was just sitting there going, wow. so I'm, I'm the evangelist understands the the need. He's I I got the net. I'll cast the net, but I need you to disciple. And I thought, man, how sad it is that an evangelist has to teach the churches what discipleship is. And uh, I, found, I just grieved my heart. I thought, that is the state of our nation. And, um, and so Billy Graham, all sh he should have had it done is go fish, right? We are the ones that clean them. You catch them, we'll clean them. And so uh, the church's job is to make disciples. You cannot divorce that. You can't, uh, you can't hey, I mean, the four spiritual laws and, and campus crusade and all that, there's discipleship. The word, like I said earlier, the word discipleship is all over Christianity. But when you divorce it from the local church, you know what it loses? It loses power. It loses power. I'm not saying it's bad. 
I'm not saying people shouldn't do it, right? Because the Word of God doesn't return void. But I'm telling you, to do the big picture, to do the macro, to, to reach the world of, and accomplish what God wants, it has to be connected to the local New Testament church. It's the vehicle. It's the vehicle that God uses to fulfill His work. So, there's three blanks there. You need three things. You need the Word, right? The Word of God. You need His mind. The church is a steward, right? We're stewarding His mind, the Word of God. You need the Holy Spirit. Well, God gives you that the moment you get saved. And, uh, and then you need the, the body of Christ. The church is the body. It's the vehicle. And, and so God, uh, He puts feet on the gospel, through the church. He puts feet on discipleship through the church. He makes it happen through the local New Testament church. And the whole mission is, is given to us to accomplish through the local New Testament church. So the next point, the, the uh, next point we see, there's evangelism, there's establishing local New Testament churches, and then there's edifying or building the saints. And again, this is pulled right out of Ephesians 4. Each local church is responsible to grow and build. Let's see. Yeah, there we go. To grow and build, edify Christians in the faith. <clears throat> and so, um, Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify or build another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 says, Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And so, it's important that we work through the local church to grow and build, edify the Christians in the faith. Uh, secondly, God's will is for every saint to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, again, this word image pops up. You can go back through this, this uh, discussion that we're having. You can go back through your notes. Study that word image out. It's, a, it's a very important. Uh, and so this image is going to be restored. God's will for every saint is to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've given you Romans 8.29 there. Romans 8.29, oh, I don't have it. Uh, on the screen, but it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Now, sadly, we had a whole conference on predestination, how this verse gets twisted, and, we, and maybe some people stay away from it because of that, but it's not a verse we should run from. It's actually something we need to wrap our head around, that God has, is predestined to conform us to the image of his Son. Now, we've already seen in, in Hebrews that Jesus Christ, he's the express image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of His Son. So when we are getting, when we get saved and we're making disciples, not only are we being conformed to His image, but when we start to pour the Word of God into others through the Word of God, through the, being taught by the Spirit of God, through the, the ministry of the local New Testament Church of God, what we see is a metamorphosis of people transforming like a butterfly, right? From a caterpillar to a butterfly, from a, a, a human to a superhuman, right? To, to Christ before our eyes. They become, a, they become a supernatural being. And I mean, that sounds crazy, but everybody's watching Marvel. It's just not like Marvel, right? It's, it's from the inside out. We become like Christ. There's no cape. There's no, you know, there's no superpowers, but there are superpowers. It's called the, the love of God. It's the grace of God. It's the spirit of the living God. It's knowing Him and the power of His resurrection, being made conformable to His image, being more and more like Christ every day. And so when, as we build people, uh, they, be, they are conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He has predestined that that's what happens to us, right? So he's, we're going somewhere. We're going to shed these bodies someday. I keep quoting from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. There's a reason. Because someday this process will be completed at the resurrection. We will literally be like 
Christ. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, uh, the goal of discipleship is summarized in Colossians 1, 27 through 28. Uh, it says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Well, what is that mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's a lot in that. Whom we preach, warning every man... Uh, and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete in Christ. That's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing, um, I wish I should have given you that verse. Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I didn't put Jesus on the end there. So we want to make sure everyone is <clears throat> um, perfect, complete in Christ Jesus. So there's a work that goes on. Uh, in the church. God wants to finish the work of building His church, but within each individual, He wants, he wants not, ju not just a generic group of people, but He wants every man, and ladies, that includes you, every man complete. So when someone comes to faith, when you lead someone to Christ, you can know that God has a work program that He wants to see completed in this person's life uh, because God is working it out. That He is conforming them to His image. Remember I talked about Peter? Right? He didn't just say, oh, Peter, man, you're going to be a great disciple. No, he went to work for three and a half years with his disciples, working with them, teaching them, showing them the new identity. Right? And then he empowered them not only to be changed, but to be the change agents. Right? To be like, well, like him. And so he wants us to do the same thing. All right. You guys tracking with me? All right. I think we're good. All right. So the importance of discipleship in relationship to the, the five goals. Let's uh, roll through this. I've got to keep moving here. Um, discipleship forms the link between the first two goals. Let's see. I lost. I got all excited here and lost my way. Okay, there we go. Thank you. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And so, <clears throat> there we go. I did lose my way. Without you guys, I'd be in trouble. All right, so um, Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we've already talked about that. So equipping the saints is what we're all about. That is what the church does, is we equip the saints. And we do that with, of course, the Word of God. That's the tool that God has given us. The word disciple appears 29 times. Um, and the word disciples appears 243 times. So obviously, so 272 times in the Gospels in the book of Acts. So the word disciple only appears once in the whole of the Bible outside the Gospels and Acts. And it's in Isaiah 8.16. They only mention the Old Testament, the word disciples, in Isaiah 8.16. And it prophesies the, the, new, the faithfulness of the disciples in the New Testament. And so that's pretty interesting as well. A disciple means follower or one who learns. And disciple is replaced by saints throughout the process of the New Testament. Saints appears 46 times in the Pauline epistles. So a saint is someone who is set apart for God's use. Uh, in 2 Timothy... 2-2, uh, two, two, a passage is familiar to most of us. The Bible says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So that's how we multiply, by teaching faithful men who are able to teach others also. And then number nine there, the object of discipleship is to be more like Jesus every day. 
So again, God was going somewhere with Peter, right? He was taking him from being a fisher of men to eventually being a shepherd, right? So who's a shepherd? Well, Jesus is the he's the shepherd. And so he was, he was changing his identity. He was morphing him into his very image. He became a shepherd. And he becomes uh, like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's move on to point D. Let's talk about equipping. Evangelizing, establishing, edifying, equipping the disciples to reproduce. Uh, spiritual saints will bear spiritual fruit uh, to replace them in ministry. So Jesus left the 12 disciples. Let me get down here. There we go. He left the uh, twelve disciples, and uh, as we as we uh, as spiritual saints will bear the spiritual fruit to replace them in ministry, he left twelve disciples and Paul and had Timothy and Titus and Silas and Silvanus and Luke, etc. So it's so important. Uh, again, Paul said, "In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also." So I think I have a little duplication going on. So. <clears throat> Uh, God's ultimate purpose for man is to restore the lost image of Adam. And uh, I'm not, for time's sake, we're not going to hit all those verses. I think we've covered that pretty thoroughly. But you can go back and look at those verses that we have there, and you'll see that, that theme over and over again. And so when, what's the whole point of that? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's to exalt God's glory. In Ecclesiastes 12.13, which I don't have in my notes here. Let me look that up real quick. Let me grab my sword. Anybody got, got a Bible on you? Not in a church service. <laughs> That's our key verse. Let's look that up. Fear God and yeah, fear God and keep His... Amen. Thank you. So... Uh, we got to exalt God's glory. We got to we got to fear God and keep His commandments. And the purpose of our existence is to glorify God. That's why we're here. Ultimately, we're, we're to bring honor and glory to God. So that's the that's the the most important thing we can do is exalt God's glory. Let's make sure we're okay. I don't think there we go. And so and so, if God has not been glorified, nothing has been accomplished. Right? In 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Bible tells us, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So if God has not been glorified, it's all in vain. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to accomplish when it comes to, to discipleship, is bringing God the honor and the glory. Because He's worthy, worthy of all the honor and the glory and the praise. All right, so let's look at the five primary goals of the Great Commission. Uh, they can be illustrated by example of raising children, right? <clears throat> this is one of my favorite illustrations, actually, when it comes to discipleship. It's just as simple as bearing fruit. Bearing fruit through the new birth. Physical babies are born just as spiritual babies must be born again. And so that's how we lead people to Christ, right? They must be born again. And then we establish them in the local New Testament church. Babies are brought home and placed within a family unit. You don't just leave them on the doorstep. You don't leave them at the hospital. You bring them into a nurturing environment. That's what the local church is all about. New Testament local churches. That's why you can't divorce discipleship from the local church. Because it's the local church that nurtures uh, the new believer in Christ. And we don't just nurture them. We edify them. We build them. Uh, and that's what happens with the child. We teach them. We train them. It requires that new uh, converts uh, have, are taught in the Word of God. Just as a, a child has to be taught basics. 
Right? You've got to teach them how to, to walk. You've got to teach them how to read. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to fall. They're going to stumble. And you've got to be patient. You've got to be kind. You're going to be gentle. You don't feed them a T-bone steak. Right? You, you break things down simply for them. And you build them up. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. And you just continue to put the Word of God in them. And they continue to grow. And so that's the building process. Sometimes it's messy. You ever been around a construction project? I mean, you got stuff everywhere. You're like, where's all this going? Some things are longer than they need to be, but you put it up and then you cut it off later and everything's just going here and there. But you know what? It all is a part of the process. It's messy. Making disciples can be messy. Edifying and building can be a messy process. I like to say it's fun to make babies, but it's hard to raise them. And that's true. And so you got to have responsible people. Anybody can make a baby, but you know what? You got to be responsible to raise one. So it takes maturation. It takes a place where they can be established, where they can be built. And then uh, the next one, of course, is where they can be equipped. <clears throat> we're going somewhere with them. Children grow to manifest the image of their father. And, and they reflect the, the thoughts and the actions of their father, just as a Christian is to reflect the image of God to our lost and dying world. Every little boy wants to be like his daddy, at least for a while. And they want to, I remember my, my son was little, man, he used to dress like me and run around the church like me. And now, he, you know, he just wants to be cool and play his guitar. But anyway, uh, so, you know, but there's, a, a child wants to be in the likeness and image of their father. And we need to make sure that they're equipping disciples and that they're growing and manifest and then they're being manifest to the image of their father. And that is in actions and thoughts. And that, of course, that comes through the word of God. Where's that going to be a model? Again, the local church. You're going to see it in the people that are maturing around them, the people that are ahead of them, older brothers and sisters in Christ, as they look to those that are already growing in Christ. So you'll learn more about that in the, in the next sessions. But the next thing is, which uh, we already talked about, is exalting uh, God's glory. Right? Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. And so, man, God gets a lot of glory when He sees... Now, he, it's great when babies are born. Isn't it tragic, though, when you see a child kind of go the wrong way? You know, they end up in prison, and you look at that, and you're like, man, they could have been so much more. Well, God's the same way. I mean, He's, he's thankful that people are born again. He, he died to see people saved, but He really wants to, to reach their potential. You know, uh, you don't want to see a child that could do so much more settle for less. And so he, that's what discipleship's all about, is bringing glory and honor to God. It's, it's, it's investing the Word of God in people who, whether they know it or not, are exactly the people God has called to accomplish His mission and His power for His glory. All right, so the importance of discipleship in relation to these five goals. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Discipleship forms the link between the first two goals, which can be measured, and the last three goals, which cannot be measured. And so um, <clears throat> there's a preoccupation with numbers, oftentimes, uh, that results in no discipleship. So we have to be careful with this. Most churches are monuments to man's ability. Unless discipleship occurs, God cannot be glorified through us. And so that's so important. You don't want your church to become a monument, right? We had 100 people saved. We had all these programs going on. But if you don't have discipleship happening, there's going to be no generational life, right? And so discipleship is the key to biblical New Testament growth. It's God's mission. It's God's plan. Sure, we want to see thousands and millions of people get saved. But if we don't disciple them, we have not accomplished God's mission. Right? And we haven't availed ourselves of His power. Because that's what God has given us the power to do is make disciples. And so we want to, we want to measure success <clears throat> by transform lives. That's really what we're looking at. And that's a different mindset than a lot of churches today. 
And so it's not just about how many rear ends you get in the pew and, and how much money you can raise for the next building expansion, which is really pretty shallow. It makes oftentimes the preacher feel good, right? Because he's filling seats and things feel like they're moving. But at the judgment seat of Christ, what we're going to be looking at is whose lives was transformed. And don't I'm not minimizing leading people to Christ, by the way. It's so important that we win people to Christ. But I'm also saying that transform lives are what we're looking for. We're looking for God to transform a life. Discipleship provides people with all the tools necessary to carry out their mission and bring glory to God. And so just as God wants to be glorified in, quote, the church, well, He wants to be glorified in our life. And so we ought to be about investing the Word of God in the lives of other people so that we can see lives transformed. So if discipleship is not accomplished in the life of an individual, we will only uh, produce deformed Christians. Think about that. We're not, they're not fully formed. That's a deformed, right? It'd be like walking around with no arms. They, they can't actually put, they can't, they can't function. They can't walk right. They can't wrap their arms around doctrine. They can't get a hold of the mysteries of Christ because the Bible doesn't just come to you in one big you know, meeting and all of a sudden you get it. It's not like you just plug in and, oh, I got all the answers. It's a process. Understanding who God is, understanding the doctrine, it takes a time of transformation. He's got to renew our minds so we can even process what He wants to download. You're not ready to go swim in the deep, right? Unless you spend a little time on the shore. And so, uh, so God has to take some time. And when we don't do that, and we don't invest in people, we produce deformed Christians. And boy, you can see that everywhere. So Jesus, uh, His plan lasted only three and a half years. And it was an ordered plan. Discipleship will form the basis for spiritual growth. Um, it's not in our notes, but it's also super relational, right? Discipleship is a relational process. If you don't like people, well, you have to get over that because God loves you and you got to learn to love people. It's, it's all part of discipleship. You got to invest in people. And so, um, you know, the first four to five years of a child's life forms its entire personality and direction for the rest of its life. I look at raising kids in sections of three, six, 12, and 18 years. And really, uh, what I always tell people uh, is the first, the first, again, the first uh, four to five, I'd say the first six years, that's it. I mean, that makes so much difference. I'm not saying they can't change uh, from 6 to 12, but man, that first, that first six years is huge. And then the, the next six years is really huge. But those last six years, uh-uh. I mean, pretty much what you did the first 12 is it. I mean, and you're going to see the results of it, and then they're going to launch. It's hard to change someone after 12 years of, of bad and then say, oh, yeah, I need you to change, other than Christ, right? And Christ is powerful to do that, enough to do that. But practically, when it comes to rearing children, that, those first years are important. So it's not to say that somebody who gets saved and then is delayed in discipleship won't prosper, because that's not true either. They will because of God's mercy and grace. But ideally, you want to see people saved and walk right into a relationship with Jesus Christ while the, the heart is still tender, while the soil is still fertile and ready to receive the Word of God. All right, so uh, let's talk about the position of discipleship among others. Uh, the other four vitally important goals. So the position of discipleship among other, the other four vitally important goals. Discipleship is the, as we've mentioned, the link between the first two goals which can be measured and the last two goals which cannot be measured. <clears throat> so evangelism can be measured by counting the number of souls. So it sounds like I'm restating this, and I am, but I'm doing it in a way that you can kind of get your mind around it. Evangelism <clears throat> is measured by the counting of souls, which isn't a bad thing, right? Uh, you can say, 
This is what makes evangelism exciting. We had 100 people make professions of Christ. We believe that they trusted Christ with their whole heart. Man, we saw 100 salvations. That's awesome. Woo, we can celebrate, man. We can have a party going on around here. All right, <clears throat> but establishment of the local New Testament churches can be measured by the counting of the number of members. Oh, well that's, that's measurable. We can put seats out, and now we have 300 people. And I will tell you, I'm a pastor. It does feel good when you've got people coming to your church. I mean, there's, let's, let's be honest. It's awesome when you have people going through the baptism tank and, and people are filling up your building. And those aren't wrong things either. Those, that's part of it. But that's just the first part of it. Right? There's more. There's more. Those things are fun because you can measure them. Now, here comes the maturity and the work. It's edifying. It's building the saints. This is the hard work, both physically and spiritually. Many churches uh, focus on external results. Therefore, the spiritual well-being of the family is intended to. We get so caught up in what I just explained. Who's getting saved? Who's getting baptized? Who's filling our pews? Well, that's, those are great things. It's basically filling up your nursery. I hope your nursery's full. But the hard work, I mean, anybody, we got it at our church, it's called the uh, sunbeams, you know. And man, that's hard work. Those little toddlers running around there. I mean, you want to sit down and bust the Bible, their attention span's this long. You know, you can get, barely get them to, to, to say, Jesus loves me. They're running around. And, then, and if they don't get potty trained, oh my goodness. I mean, please potty train your children while they're small. Because, you know, I don't want to deal with, you know, adult-sized potty training issues. So the, the, the thing is, is, is there's a process, there's work to maturing. And that's not near as much fun. Uh, and, it, and it's also much harder to measure. And so uh, when we equip the disciples to reproduce, it's because the spiritual development of the individual Christians cannot be measured by new, uh, numerically. It's often ignored as a priority. The, one of the things that happens is that this is, this is hard work. And so <clears throat> um, there's these hindrance. We'll talk about some of the hindrances if, times per, if time permits. But the development... Uh, process, right? It's, it's not something that you can just quickly measure. You can't get a measuring stick and say, oh, you've grown. It's kind of one of those intangible things. And you're, and you're like, okay. And sometimes you don't know if they're maturing. Have you ever watched a child grow? You know, you're like, oh, one minute you think, oh, that took. And the next minute you're like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to square one. And it's a process. And you're going through this and you're walking with people. And you're letting God work it out. And sometimes you don't even see the growth, right? Until you step back and you're like, oh my goodness, look at them. Or someone sees your child after six months or a year and they're like, man, they've grown. And you're like, well, I didn't even realize that. You know, I've, I've just been chasing them around the house wanting to spank them all day. So, uh, you know, but there's, there's a process that, of growth and it's not, as, it's not as sexy. It takes work and it takes commitment to train children, right? And it's not, not always fun. Let's just be honest. But it's what glorifies God. It's, it's, this is what happens. People who raise children well, uh, they're sa selfless, they're sacrificial, they're disciplined, they have order and structure in their life. And you know what they do? They put others ahead of themselves. They defer their benefits for someone else's. That's because they're mature. They're mature. It takes, if you want to reproduce maturation, you've got to be mature. You've got to grow. So... Man, who wants to do that? That's not exciting. I mean, we can't get Stephen Furtick all jacked up and start dipping people. I mean, we can do that all day long, but who's going to grow somebody? That's what, we, that's what the kingdom of God needs. That's what, that's what God's asking for. Okay, so <clears throat> um, evangelism and establishing 
members of the local church is very important, but biblical New Testament Christianity cannot stop there any more than the family, the family life stops the day you bring home a baby. So, um, where am I at now? I want to get to the hindrances. All right, so discipleship is the link. If you're looking for, I think evangelism is point B, if I left you a blank there, evangelism. We've got to get through this, so forgive me, but I'm going to, I've got to keep moving. Hindrances. There's five hindrances to the ministry of discipleship. And uh, they're all listed there for you. Divisions between disciples and disciples, intellectual arguments, the charismatic movement, legalism, and ceremony. These are listed, if you've been in other courses, they're all similar. Uh, sometimes they can be listed with different names. But let's just talk, talk about divisions between disciple and the disciple. So we are co-laborers together. The division between uh, clergy and laity is not proper. We don't want to lord over people. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand that these are God's people. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that we are co-laborers together. Sometimes people who are not very mature and not understanding submission themselves to the Lord will get a little carried away in discipleship. They'll start to try to control people. That's not what we're here to do. God's God. He's, he's got it. We're here to impart life. And let God do what God does. He's the Holy Spirit. That's why you have a local church. And uh, your pastor will guide you on that. The divisions between the clergy and laity, as I said, are not proper. Uh, this is a doctrinal point where we lord over people. God doesn't want us to lord over His flock. Historically, this division began with the death of the apostles. And God hates this doctrine. Um, it's called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It's found twice in Revelation. Uh, 2.6 and 2.15. Once it's, it's, it's the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those that would lord over people. He hated when they did that, and then he hated the doctrine. People even, they create rules and regulations and all kinds of layers to control people. Hey, to do discipleship well, you've got to give people some liberty to grow, to make mistakes. And uh, that doesn't mean licentiousness or, or uh, you know, uh, getting crazy, but it does mean you've got to give people an ability to, uh, you can't, in a legalistic environment, discipleship's not going to work. You're going to just breed contempt. And so uh, that's another thing you'll notice about a lot of the living faith churches is we're, we're, we're not lax, we give liberty. Uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, you're going to find liberty. Uh, and so that means freedom. Freedom to do what we want to do? No. Freedom to follow God. Freedom to choose to follow God. Now that doesn't mean there's not consequences when you don't, because there is. And that's part of learning how to use your liberty responsibly. And that doesn't mean there's not bumpers and guidelines and structure. Uh, and that's also why discipleship needs to be connected to the local New Testament church. So it's the right environment, right? All of us have rooms and places and yards. What are they? They have fences. Right? They have gates, baby gates, right? So we know where to put the bounds up so the people can, the little ch kids can bounce around, do what they do, play, but then they don't go here, they don't play with the china cabinet, they don't, you know, they don't jump the fence and go play with the neighbor's dog, they stay where they're supposed to, right? So all that gets worked out. But we don't want to be Nicolaitans. We don't want to cause division. So how do we overcome that doctrine? First Corinthians uh, 3, um, for time's sake, I'm just going to jump down to, oh, I've already went past it. Uh, we want to just focus that we are laborers together with God and we are God's husbandry, right? We're His field. Uh, we are His building. So God's doing the building process. I'm going to keep moving here to the next point for time's sake. So let's go to the intellectual argument. So um, uh, skeptics will always attack the truth because they refuse to believe uh, dishonest people or dishonest people are everywhere. So there's always going to be skeptics. Uh, so you don't want to get caught up in intellectual arguments where people are 
just bantering about you know foolish questions that, that have no profit. Many times this is manifest through uh, political issues. When you disciple, it's important. I know everybody's got their political issues. Uh, an example, you know, this is an old example of like school prayer, so it's easy to to use because nobody is caring about it anymore. But it used to be people would get cross over that. You know, today there's a lot of things we could get into. Uh, BLM, what's your thoughts on that? What's this? What's that? Now the Bible answers all those questions. But a good discipler is going to be wise and keep them focused on things above, right? On the kingdom of God, not get caught up in a bunch of political issues. And so <clears throat> there's all kinds of things that, that uh, can distract discipleship. So make sure that you don't get, get into intellectual arguments that, that take things off course. Christian leaders are tempted to defend the faith. Um, and the Word of God stands on its own, right? So you can even get get so busy defending the faith that you forget how to walk in the faith. So um, we got to make sure to overcome that. So how do we do that? Uh, we stick to the Word of God, not tradition. We stick to the Word of God, not tradition. Uh, that's the main thing. We stick to God's Word. And it will address many of these issues of politics, and it will address the attacks on the Word of God. But we stick to the Word of God. In Colossians 2.8, the Bible says, A warning to the, to the Laodicean church, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain deceit, after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So we also got to preach Jesus, right? So we preach Jesus. There we go. Preach Jesus Christ. And so um, we can't do it without preaching Christ. And when we do preach Christ, we got to keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. You know, again, 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul was like, Hey, I don't want you to be beguiled from the simplicity that is in Christ. So let's, let's not try to impress anybody with our intellect. Let's keep it down here where people can get a hold of it. Make sure that you can put handles on the Word of God. And that, that's the skill. That's learned, right? So some of that's caught and not taught. And so a lot of these things are, are, are going to happen as you spend time in the local church under the, the leadership of your pastors, under the leadership of the, in the learning of the Holy Ghost. He's going to teach you how to keep it simple. Uh, and very, another very important aspect is keeping our life clean, right? Uh, that's how God's will is going to get done through us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.15, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Uh, your life can speak so loud that people can't uh, ignore it. Right? If we live a clean life. I just had a, I just literally yesterday was talking to a new member in our church and we were talking about some mutual friends in, uh, the, in the music business. And I said, oh yeah, I know this guy. He's a saxophone guy. Oh yeah, I know him. I went to college with him. And his wife, Melissa, and he says, you know what? They were so pure. They were so pure. He goes, I was convicted. And I never hung out with them. I said, you need to call him and tell him you're saved. And, you know, and he's like, I, I will. You know, I said, yeah, he's still walking with the Lord like he was back in, back in the day. And so, but it was so wild. I was like, listen to this testimony. It was just a guy's wa life walking pure. He's like, yeah, after the gigs, he would never go to, that, to the bar with us. He always had a Bible study and da, 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 da. You know, he was telling us about that. I was like, man, that's cool. And so, man, keep your life clean. That'll go a long way. You've, ever, you've heard the saying, your life speaks so loudly, people cannot hear what you're saying. Right? Our life needs to be what our speech, right? You don't want to have a contradiction. Keep yourself pure. Let your ministry speak for you, right? Let God do the work for you. Um, and avoid arguments. Avoid arguments. Don't get argumentative. And so, um, <clears throat> and so realize that God does not need you to defend Him. When it comes to arguments, sometimes we want to, especially us guys, we want to jump in there and it's okay. God's going to get the right answer. So just you don't always have to defend God. God will take care of Himself. And there's some wisdom in not answering a fool according to his folly. 
And so, of course, Proverbs has those verses linked together. Answer a fool according to his folly. Answer not a fool according to his folly. So it's up to you got to learn to have wisdom and discretion. Know when to engage and when not to. And when you don't know what to do, well, you go back and, and you get your big brother, right? Uh, you go get your pastor, and someone else will help you engage in that. All right, so uh, another, another hindrance is the charismatic movement. <clears throat> the charismatics uh, place special emphasis on the book of Acts. <clears throat> uh, for church doctrine. So the charismatics are, in essence, they're placing uh, experience over the Bible doctrine. It's how you feel. And when you, when you are dealing with folks that have been exposed to the charismatic movement, maybe some of you guys have been into that, it is all about how your feelings drive your faith, right? It's not faith driving your feelings. Really, it's not facts. So it starts with the Bible, which is the facts, which gives you the right uh, uh, faith, which then directs your feelings. And so the charismatics get that all upside down and backwards. And so the feelings are driving uh, what you have faith in, and it's often not the facts of God's Word. But you feel good about it, right? And that doesn't make them bad people at all. As a matter of fact, many times super sincere, sincere people. They just need the right facts so they have the right faith, and then they'll get the right feelings. And there's nothing wrong with feelings either. Uh, and so uh, we just want to make sure they're guided by the right facts. All right, so you don't want to get caught up in those experiences, and so the Bible will help with that. The charismatic movement hinders discipleship because it's not doctrinally sound and has been based on emotion rather than truth. That's why a lot of the songs that we sing in our, our churches today are they're like love songs to some boyfriend because it's all based on... It's not always doctrine. Let me just put it that way. It's a lot of it's emotion. All right, so... Um, there's a couple dangers um, that the spirit the, the spirit will come over and, and over you, and depending on emotions, and it'll and it'll just drive you right. The, it's all about the spirit. The spirit you gotta make sure the spirit is going to be in concert with the word of God, and so that's what's going to drive those things. Um, so <clears throat> uh, let me move on here. So how do we overcome this? Well, the word of God, of course, keep your authority the Word of God. Uh, realize God is supernatural and not mystical. Uh, this is going to lead to, this leads to, charismatic movement leads to mysticism. So uh, that's why a lot of times you'll find uh, Roman Catholics migrating to, to uh, charismatic movement before they come to fundamentalists, right, to Bible believers. And so that's cool. Meet them where they're at, but take them where they need to go. Uh, that mystical uh, union is not going to be good. So, <clears throat> so, for time's sake, I'm going to keep moving. Legalism is another hindrance. Legalism is a system which establishes rules or tradition for spirituality. Uh, there we go. So legalism exalts authority of the leaders over the Word of God. And this is unique often to the Baptists, right? So uh, you're going to find that in a lot of Baptist churches. Under legalism, people become disciples of others. You'll see a lot of cult worship, a lot of people worship going on. That kind of makes you want to puke and vomit. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, there's a lot that can be said about that. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Um, you know, we should, you should see humility. Uh, legalists, are, there, I'm not saying every legalist is a bad person. A lot of times you'll find legalism is attractive to people that are coming out of the world, like that have been in drugs and stuff like that. They kind of like it because it gives them super good structure. It's not all bad, actually. Uh, but we got to grow in grace and, and understand that our parameter is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so, um, and so legalism, uh, it can be attractive to some, 
Um, but in time, you know, it will choke the life out of you. So there's a balance there. So how to overcome that? That's, that's what we need to do. Um, well, we understand that Jesus... Uh, we understand what Jesus did regarding the law. Uh, he respectfully he respectfully fulfilled it, um, and he took he took it to the cross, and, and he died on the cross. So he fulfilled the law. So when you think about how to handle a legalist, the issue is was Jesus Christ has already kept all the rules for us, and so we're free. We're free to serve. It doesn't mean we should use our freedom as a as a to serve our flesh, but we're definitely free to serve the Lord. And so he took, the, he took it to the cross, and we, we fulfill it in him in Romans 10. All right, so keep the book your authority and not the tradition of men. <clears throat> and then we have ceremony, and this is as far as I'm going to get today. So ceremony can be manifested in our lives in two ways. We, when we place the responsibility for growth on someone else, um, that's not good. And under, <clears throat> under ceremony, discipleship stops because your growth is someone else's responsibility. You're blaming your, your lack on someone else. Yeah, I'm... If I get five. I get five more minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're wrapping up right now. So, um, ceremony is fulfilled firmly and establishes the clergy and the lady separation. So, how to overcome this? Um, let me get to that. The priesthood of believers, of course. Uh, we are the priesthood of believers. And don't run to the priest. Run to the throne. All right, so what's that mean? We just need to make sure that we, we take, take our, our needs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, the church is there to help. Uh, realize Christ is your only mediator. We are His representatives in His church. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between Christ and men, the man Christ Jesus. All right, so um, I'm going to forward through all this. You guys get all those blanks filled in? Nope. No. <laughs> All right. So the last point, and we'll be done. I don't, that last section, we'll just uh, skip that for today. Uh, biblical discipleship uh, produces explosive growth through multiplication. So the ministry of the Apostle Paul, uh, we'll find this, is a, uh, is, this process is literal fulfillment in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. So uh, God wants to use us to to multiply literally and reach the world. So Paul commissioned Timothy and Titus to ordain elders for the purpose of multiplying disciples. And so that is exactly what we need to do. So there, like I said, there's the micro. We're dealing with leading people to Christ. We are building people, men individually, in the image of Christ. But also, we're doing that to advance the mission of God. We're going bigger. We're going big. We're going macro. And so Paul was, was producing faithful men that could, he could use, out, use to go out and reproduce other local New Testament churches. So his work was carried out long after he was gone in Antioch and, and Corinth and, of course, throughout uh, modern-day Europe. So the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is the same thing. Uh, Jesus Christ commissioned his apostles, his disciples. He started with 12 diverse men. They grew to 70. They went to 120 after Pentecost. They were 3,000 were saved. And uh, that's all in your notes. Membership of 5,000 by Acts chapter 4 and verse 14. And the world was turned upside down by Acts 17 and verse 6. So uh, I'm going to run through that. I think you guys have all of that in your notes. So uh, all of Asia heard the word without television, radio, and telephones, cars, fax machines, or computers. Imagine that. They didn't even have modern technology. And they could all hear 
and receive. Also, there is the difference, let me back up to this real quick, between addition and multiplication. Evangelism is an important point. Evangelism is addition. There's no problem with evangelism. We want to see people saved. So when you lead people to Christ, it is one by one by one by one by one, right? Um, and, and, but when we, when we disciple, uh, we multiply. And discipleship multiplies. Um, and so discipleship in Acts chapter 2, or disciples in Acts 2.41 and Acts 2.47, the Bible says multiplied. The word disciples is associated in Acts 2.41 and 2.47 with the word multiply. And so when we talk about discipleship, for those of you in the military, it's a force multiplier. Right? It's not a, it doesn't just add to our strength, it multiplies our strength. And that's why discipleship is so instrumental in God's mission. Because he needs to multiply the kingdom of God. Not just add one at a time, but multiply it. So when I disciple someone and then they disciple someone, after a few generations of discipleship, you have multiple disciples discipling other multitudes of people. And so it's not just me leading someone to Christ and me leading someone to Christ. Right? That's man-centric. That's focused on what I can do. But when you disciple, you're investing the power that God gave you, the understanding of His Word in other people, and then that's being multiplied because we learn to delegate it. We learn to let go of it and trust God with it, and then He takes it to the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. And it becomes a force multiplier. All right, so that's huge, and then we're done. So, um, and the Great Commission is not exclusive uh, to one church. Right? So it's not just Heartland Baptist Fellowship, which is the church I pastor, or Downtown Baptist uh, Temple, or Jay Shug's Church, or Harvest Baptist Blue Springs, or whatever church you're representing. Right? This is, this is exclusive to the church and the local New Testament churches that comprise the church. So any local church group or local churches can fulfill the Great Commission. And it's critical that every individual understand his responsibility to be involved in this ministry. So I do pray um, that you uh, have an opportunity to get engaged in discipleship in your local New Testament church. The next session, Jay's going to be up, and he's going to do a great job of uh, taking us a little bit further into the philosophy of discipleship. I hope you've enjoyed this. I left a section there. Um, I will tell you what, I'm going to leave my business cards. If I, I'll, find, I'll leave some out. If you want me to email you that, I just... Uh, Shoot me an email. Say, I want the rest of your notes, and I'll email those to you. All right, I'll leave some business cards right over on the table. God bless you. Let me pray. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. I pray God has been a blessing uh, to the hearers. And Lord, I pray that you'll multiply it in your, in your son's name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.